Welcome to Series 3 of This Wildlife Podcast, a conservation podcast that brings you up to date with frontline conservation efforts from across the world. We talk with experts who have dedicated their lives to protect our beautiful planet. From wildlife vets, to bush pilots, to rangers leading anti-poaching operations, and those who work undercover to dismantle the illegal wildlife trade. We are This Wildlife Podcast, and we're here to bring the wild to you. Hello and welcome to This Wildlife Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Amy Turner, and this episode is part of a mini-series that is looking at Earthranger, a free online software solution that helps conservationists protect our world's wildlife and habitats with real-time data. We've already heard from the Giraffe Conservation Foundation and Gorongosa National Park in Mozambique and how they use the software. But we now have the opportunity to talk with one of the creators of the software, Ted Schmidt. Earthranger is part of the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence's portfolio and is used by renowned conservation organisations that I'm sure many of you will have heard of, such as the Mara Elephant Project, Grumeti Fund, African Parks, Liwa Wildlife Conservancy and the list goes on. The use of this technology is far reaching, but on a very basic level, it can track collared or tagged wildlife, it gives the location of certain ranger patrols, shows historical data points that can be compiled to providing an insight into a predator territory. And the use cases of Earth Ranger really are incredibly wide ranging. But today we won't be focusing solely on Earth Ranger. We'll be focusing on Skylight, another technology that Ted has been a creator of. Skylight is an ocean-based technology that aims to solve the problem of protecting marine protected areas. Many of you will remember the harrowing stories of Andre Croster about the Vaquita in Mexico and Paul Rose from National Geographic talking about the Chinese fishing fleet on the edge of the Galapagos last summer. And this technology skylight really aims to solve some of the problems hitting these areas. For those listening in, Ted is at the leading edge of conservation technology. He has over 20 years of experience and quite honestly, it's an absolute privilege to be able to speak with him today. So Ted, before we dive straight in, I must say a warm welcome onto the podcast. And um, I think I'll start by asking where you're calling from today. Sure. Uh uh, I'm uh, I'm based in Seattle, uh, which is where our organization is, um, and it's actually unusually for Seattle this time of year, a, a nice sunny day. So well, that's yeah. good to hear because the UK is, as per usual, cold, damp, dark, and uh, yeah, thoroughly delightful. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to Skylight then. Yeah. So, Ted, could you explain um, Skylight and the pro- problem that the technology aims mm-hmm. to solve? Sure. Yeah. No problem at all. Um, so, uh, so the problem, I think it's, it's really good. The problem that it tries to solve, I think that's really important. We always start when we think about technology, uh, with the problem, uh, that's something technologists often have a hard time doing. They love to think about the coolest, latest, innovative, edgy tech. Um, and that's important because 
sometimes new new solutions become possible because new technology becomes possible. But I think it's incredibly important to be grounded in in the problem uh, and make sure you're solving a problem. So the problem that Skylight is targeting uh, is is really transparency. It's awareness of what's going on in the water. Uh, and because a lot of bad things happen when they when they go unseen. And of course, the the people doing the, the bad things, the illegal things, they don't want to be seen. Um, and so this is where Skylight and other technologies in this space are really trying to shine a light on that activity, um, expose it. Um, and it could be exposed in, um, in terms of sort of looking historically at the data um, and, uh, and then explaining broad patterns uh, and, and things like that. It can also, and that's important for transparency, it can also be focused on what, what, what I call um, sort of operationally uh, relevant. And that could be real time. It could be, you know, minute by minute sort of thing. It could be uh, over a few days. Um, and that's where Skylight focuses is on that operationally relevant time frame where navies, coast guards, maritime police uh, and other uh, authorities who are uh, responsible for um, protecting, securing and monitoring waters um, that they have the information they need to, to act. Um, one of the challenges with uh, with all of the things in the ocean is obviously it's very vast. Um, it's a very much of a needle in the haystack sort of a problem. So if I've only got a few vessels, even if I'm the United States or Canada uh, or, or Australia, and I have a, a Coast Guard that's well equipped and all of that, I still have vast waters to cover. So I need to know where uh, where the most likely place I can put the assets I have, the airplanes, the vessels to combat um, the illegal activity going on. And if you talk about developed countries, which is where Skylight focuses primarily, the, 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 the assets, the capacity there are very low. Um, and so you really have to use the, the, um, the, the assets you have as effectively as possible. And of course, that's a tailor-made problem for, for technology. Um, so, so Skylight focuses on uh, creating that domain awareness uh, of what's going on in, in the waters and we do focus primarily on, on developing countries, um, not exclusively, but, but primarily just because that's where the greatest need is. We partner extensively. So we're not fisheries experts. We don't have a bunch of fisheries analysts on staff. We're technologists. We know how to build technology. So we talk to the fisheries experts. We talk to the, uh, the operations personnel and coast guards and navies. We partner with uh, groups like uh, UNODC's Global Maritime Crime Program. Uh, and, and other groups, Global uh, uh, Fishing Watch, um, Sea Vision is a product that the U.S. government has, uh, that the Navy. So we really partner extensively with folks who are experts on the problem, on the problem space, have connections with the countries, and then we make the technology available to them. And then what they're able to do with that, as I said, is really um, optimize how they use their resources how they uh, prioritize what they look into um, and then um, and then take action on that. Ultimately, our goal is to create a deterrent effect so that the cost of doing illegal things in anyone's water goes up um, and, and that makes uh, makes that activity eventually go down as the cost starts to not make sense. So um, that that in a, in a nutshell is what Skylight's trying to do is to provide those uh, th those um, authorities in the developing countries, the ability to have some data and tools 
to, to act on and secure their waters. So Ted, as the creator of Earth Ranger and Skylight, please could you provide an insight into your background and what led you to create both technologies? Sure, sure. Um, um, you know, I started my career as an engineer. Uh, I Engineers are important. I work with engineers every day of my whole career. Uh, but for me personally, at some point, I realized that I, I very much am a problem solver. I like to understand problems, connect dots on, uh, uh, you know, uh, take this technology and apply it to this problem and really understand what problems technology can solve. So I actually, um, after about 10 years uh, as an engineer, I went back uh, and 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 got a, a master's degree in, in science and technology policy. It's a very niche field and uh, not very well known, but there are some uh, a few places that, that have programs around that. Uh, if you think uh, about places like the National Science Foundation, the National Academy of Sciences, where I was actually a program officer before I joined Vulcan, uh, those are the kinds of places that use folks that have uh, an understanding of technology as well as policy and, and how, how to um, uh, position technology uh, to, to have an impact on, on policy issues, on social uh, good issues, um, uh, common, uh, you know, tragedy of the common sorts of issues. Illegal fishing is the classic uh, uh, tragedy of the commons uh, issue. So, so the, it was really my drive to one, one make a difference in the world and two, uh, really make a career out of problem solving and, and, and applying technology uh, rather than building the technology. Um, that as I said, led to me uh, being at the National Academies for a number of years as a program officer, very important institution, but but very slow, pushing long policy levers, trying to move and guide and, and uh, make recommendations to the, uh, the federal government about, um, about policies they can put in place. I really had a desire to do something that was more impactful more quickly. And so that ultimately led me to to Vulcan and, and the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, uh, where we're really looking to to build solutions to problems that are out there and try and deliver them as quickly as possible. So that's a that's a bit of background for me. It was a, a bit of a long and winding road. It wasn't sort of like I saw the end point uh, and went straight there. Uh, it was it was a long winding road. But I think the the important thing for me was I knew what kind of impact based on my interests, my skills, what I have aptitude for, um, that I, I knew what kind of thing I wanted to do. The fact that I ended up in conservation, uh, of course, it turns out that that's my passion and, and dream. It took me a long time to figure that out, uh, but it wasn't a, a straight path. There were a number of other ways I could have ended up. So for me, that was my personal journey. Uh, yeah. And you've just talked there about your career and how varied it's been. It definitely doesn't seem like a straight path um, to Earth Ranger or Skylight. And many of the questions that I get time and time again is how do I get involved? I think a lot of people realize that we are in a desperate situation right now with the climate and biodiversity crisis. So I'll put that question to you. How can people get involved and help solve one of the biggest problems we have at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So there, you know, uh, think about illegal fishing specifically um, and and maritime crime issues and, and maritime issues. There are really three big levers to it. One is on the enforcement side. Skylight focuses primarily on that and bringing technology to help enforcement authorities to implement laws. The other one is on is on government will, on putting laws in place, on building transparency. 
everyone can do something there by insisting that their government care about that. Um, I'm, I'm encouraged recently that the U.S. government um, and, and stunningly one of those few in the U.S. I don't know how much you know about U.S. politics, but uh, but the it's one of the few issues where there's true bipartisanship, um, which is really wonderful to see, especially given some of the, the tensions. Um, but this is something uh, because uh, because the threats are, are, are in some cases, particularly with illegal fishing, geopolitical in nature. Governments do get interested, but people can encourage their governments to care about these issues, to, to show up. That's that's definitely one way. And then the third way, so enforcement, um, you know, building the government will and the desire to actually solve the problem societally. And then the third way is economically. So, you know, getting the the metros, uh, which is a big European uh, uh, company that uh, that. Uh, I think it controls 40 or 50 percent of all the fish that gets eaten in Europe uh, goes through their hands. Walmart is the is sort of the U.S. version of that. Costco, some of those folks. And then, of course, the the places that um, that sell fish, um, you know, getting them to as a consumer to say, we want you to deliver this product and we're willing to pay for the product, knowing that it's it's good. Um, th so that's another level. There are technology levers that can help each of those as well. But from an individual level, um, th those are uh, particularly on, you know, driving government will to, to, to do something and, and being vocal and active about that. And then as consumer, insisting that the companies you're, you're uh, making purchases from are, have clean supply chains. And, and that's true on the terrestrial side as well as the, uh, the fishing side. Uh, but but I think just at a very high level, we could probably have a whole uh, hour conversation on that. But just at a at a high level, those are some of the level uh, the the areas that that people can can all act on. So moving on to my next question and diving into Skylight a little more, could you provide examples of where and how Skylight is being used? Sure. Um, so. One uh, one recent thing, which we just uh, did a uh, a little um, we we posted on our our, uh, our Twitter account and stuff. Uh, so it's very recent, fresh in my mind, um, and and a really nice uh, example, um, and actually a really nice example of how people can make a difference and and drive um, uh, global change. There's something called the Port States Measures Agreement. It's it's a bit wonky, uh, but but one of those things it, it's making sure that when port authorities where the fish has to land somewhere it has to come in um and and in fact you could extend that to ivory and rhino and and, and, and really anything that's moving in the supply chain um you imagine any given port there are thousands of vessels coming in or hundreds of vessels coming in every day they can't possibly inspect everything on every one of them so they have to pick and choose wh what they're looking at so one of the things that Skylight was recently used for was um, was to uh, and and again a great example of partnership. Uh, our partners at um, Stop Illegal Fishing they support the the South African Port Authority um, and and help them do analysis to try and determine sort of risk profiles for vessels. And that's what the Port States Measurement Agreement (PSMA) for short does. Is it provides a framework uh, to make a, a decision tree about how what the risk profile for any given vessel is and then again it's all about efficiency uh it's like ah oh, the risk profile is high for this vessel 
So we're going to focus efforts on inspecting that. We're going to have people board the vessel. We're going to go through the paperwork and detail, all of that sort of stuff. So Skylight was used, um, and a very specific example, um, there was a vessel that made a request. The authorities had some reason to, 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 to uh, have concern for that vessel. Um, the, our partner, Stop Illegal Fishing, looked into the Skylight system, saw that the vessel was um, had looked like it had been involved in transshipment activity. And for those of your listeners who don't know what transshipment is, a lot of the illegal activity happens that um, you have a vessel come in or, or meet another vessel out at sea, transfer fish or other illegal goods. And, and many of these things do happen um, together. Um, and, and of course, there are uh, human rights violations on many of these fishing vessels as well. But a transshipment is often indicative, not always, but often indicative that something, something um, uh, it, it, some goods are being transferred between the, that uh, are trying to be hidden. In this case, so we, we uh, alerted the authorities to that, that raised the, the profile even higher. They boarded the vessel and they found four times as much fish on the, on the vessel as, the, as the, the, uh, the, the vessel had reported. So they were in violation, they were fined, um, and, um, and they were also, uh, um, they, they now have a suspended uh, license so, to fish. So they have to be, uh, if, they, if they get an infraction again, they may, their vessel may be confiscated and so on. So those are the kinds of things that create real deterrent effects because they're real dollar uh, impact for the people doing those activities. So that, that's one nice specific example where we surfaced some activity that looked suspicious. The authorities um, acted on that, um, on that uh, information and, and sure enough, um, exposed uh, illegal activity. And in terms of specific countries then, you mentioned dealing with developing countries. Could you name a few? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've been particularly active in the Gulf of Guinea, uh, which has an enormous um, uh, illegal fishing problem. And in fact, I think this is a really important point to mention, and I think important for your, you, your listeners to, to know and understand. Um, and there are some great reporters doing some great work on this. But, you know, the, the local communities are often very, especially those coastal communities, their protein comes from the sea. Uh, their income comes from the sea. They're the ones that actually are the most impacted by a distant water fleet coming in and fishing out the waters. Ghana is, a, is an example of a country uh, where that is happening um, on a massive scale, but other countries in the Gulf of Guinea as well. We work with Ghana um, in partnership with the UN Office of Drugs and, uh, and Crime, the, the UNODC's Global Maritime Crime Program, um, to coordinate an, a, a targeted operation. So they, they set aside the, the resources and assets, they had vessels, they had their teams ready, they had done the training on, on how to uh, to safely board vessels, do inspections, all of those things. And then we came in during the, that time, um, identified areas where we saw dark activity, uh, dark vessels is the term that's used for vessels that are trying to hide, that aren't transmitting their location, even though they should be, and, um, and, and really gave them the information they, they needed to go to those places where that activity was going on, uh, and if you, if you know, uh, sort of bathymetry layers in the ocean is where fish love to live on those upwelling areas where there's a lot of things that they can eat. Um, and uh, my biologist friends probably just cringed at the way I, I described that, but we'll leave that. Um, 
And um, and uh, but but the the important thing is that they were able to go to target that. They actually found uh, 14 vessels in one day that were uh, were um, were fishing illegally. They gave them uh, they issued uh, um, uh, penalties for that. They even brought a couple vessels in and confiscated them. So th those are those are exact examples. Um, Sao Tome and Principe, very tiny little island country off the Gulf of Guinea. Um, a beautiful place um, that I haven't been to, though I'd love to go. Um, that was another example where we actually worked with the, the U.S. Navy and the Sao Tomean uh, Navy. Um, and I think that, that actually is a, a really important thing. There are a number of developed countries, the EU, the U.S., Australia, around the globe, Canada, uh, that are doing great work and working with partners uh, in, developed, uh, in developing countries to help them build capacity. The U.S. Navy Africa Corps is, is doing work there. Um, and, and they work in Sao Tome to run, again, the same similar kind of operation, understand what's going on in the water over a targeted period of time. Obviously, with these things, uh, if word gets out, then suddenly there's no one doing anything bad. So you have to keep these things quiet. But it creates this deterrent effect. And, and I think that's really important. Also, it, it, it great example of how this isn't, you know, the, the technology we have is not a silver bullet. It means nothing unless there's the capacity to act on the information. Uh, and, and then uh, the will and desire, desire by the government to uh, whatever the host government is to follow through on that, to actually issue the penalties, to, to make it actually cost money for these people doing the illegal activity. And so moving on to my last question then, Ted, what's your vision for Skylight and Ocean protection as a whole moving forwards? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a great question and, and a, a really important one. Um, I think focusing, sort of drawing back down on uh, on Skylight and where it fits in, uh, my vision there is that governments, uh, not-for-profits like like ourselves, uh, folks like Global Fishing Watch, um, we're, we're working together, and I think that's happening. I'm very encouraged by that. Um, uh, oftentimes, uh, even, even developed countries working with NGOs, the openness of the U.S. government to work with, uh, with NGO groups to bring technology in in particular has been wonderful and a huge, uh, huge difference over the last few years. So there, it, it does feel like there's a momentum, one, to combat the problem, and two, to collaborate to do so. Um, and so that, that's the vision I have is that we're all working together. I always like to say rowing in the same direction um, to, to really, um, you know, the, the bad guys, uh, they, they go where the money's easiest. Uh, and and uh, if you put some resistance in their way, you make it more expensive for them to do business. You will, you will change behavior. I know um, uh, listening to, uh, to Andrea's uh, Costa's uh, podcast, he talks about that as well. Um, that's real. Um, and and that's so that's our vision is to make that happen. And then a whole lot of other people have to work on other problems. The aquaculture, sustainable fisheries problem, providing alternative protein sources. Those problems all have to. That's not what we do. But we all have to work across all of these things to really make change. And you're right. I have to say there are mornings I wake up where I feel like, oh, my gosh, this is such an overwhelming problem. There's no chance. Uh, but there's also no alternative. Um, I think another thing that I like to say is, and, and I, I, I sometimes get frustrated uh, when people talk about that, well, you know, they have hope that something happens. Well, hope 
to me is sort of a, if you don't have hope, well then why even bother, right? I mean, so hope's sort of a minimum bar for me. Really, it's the work you have to put in to realize that hope. Uh, and we all have to do that collectively. So Ted, I must say a huge thank you for taking some time out today to speak with us and explain your career path, the idea behind the tech. This really is the future and uh, we'll give those on the front lines of wildlife conservation, many of which we've talked to, another tool in the toolbox for tackling this enormous problem that we face. So Ted, thanks again. Thank you. You've listened to This Wildlife Podcast, hosted and produced by Amy Turner and David Grant. To get updates on previous and upcoming guests, you can check us out on Instagram and Facebook. We want these vital conservation messages shed far and wide. So, if you fancy it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and please do subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. It's awesome to have you along on this journey with us. We are This Wildlife Podcast and we're here to bring the wild to you.